to our With me on the podcast today, Megan Patrick, multiple Canadian Country Music Association Award winner, Juno winner. And Megan, other than throwing around weights and choking people or trying to not get choked um, in the jujitsu dojo, one of my favorite things to do is to sit around and read poetry. I find it very inspiring. And I came across this poem that reminds me a lot of you. It's called okay. Girls of the Wild, written by Nikita Gill. And when I'm finished, I want you to tell me how it resonates with you. Okay. They won't tell you a fairy tale of how girls can be dangerous and still win. They will only tell you stories where girls are sweet, kind, and reject all sin. I guess to them, it's a terrifying thought. A Red Riding Hood who knew exactly what she was doing when she invited the wild in. That's cool. I dig that. What was her name? Nikita Gill? Nikita Gill. Yeah. She's got a lot of great work out there, but that one reminded me a lot of you and, and sort of the energy that you take into your art, in your live performance and into your brand. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny when you were reading that, the first thing that, that came to mind is, you know, when, when I go in to write songs and, you know, I've, I've kind of gotten this reputation as, sort of the the tough girl tomboy everybody knows I, I like to to hunt I'm, I'm very outspoken you know I've got the tattoos and whatever and and so it's I find a lot of people want to write like tough girl songs with me and to me there, there's a difference between writing a song in where in which the the female character is tough there's a difference between writing that song and writing the song where you're talking about how tough you are. People that are tough don't have to talk about how tough they are. Do you know what I mean? And so people want to write those types of songs with me. And I'm like, that just seems like put on and like cheesy and like eye rolly to me. And I felt like that, that poem reminded me of the, the, the approach that I want to take when I write those kind of songs, which is like, it, it's, it's kind of, you, you just, it's just implied in, in your actions and your words mm-hmm. without actually saying it. And, you know, and, and, and I think that's the most impactful way to come across as like a, a strong woman is not to just give all these examples of how tough you are, but just to write the song from the perspective of a woman who is tough and where it just comes through in the word, the writing. I love what you said there too, about the, um, the implication versus yeah. spelling it out. Yes. Because I think when you spell it out, you run the risk of uh, not only being inauthentic, but being typecast in a certain role. I think we saw that yep. with Gretchen Wilson at one point where, you know, after Redneck Woman, which was a great song and was yep. her at the time, yep. it was like she became like a female Sylvester Stallone. It was like she couldn't play any other character and get taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And you've been able to still be yourself align with the things that are important to you, but make sure you don't end up in a position where you're not allowed to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's, it's tough, you know, because I, I felt, I I was always worried about that of being typecast based on anything I put out, especially some of my earlier stuff, because that's the first impression you make, you know, and some of the songs that I've put out um, that didn't, they weren't my best charting songs. They weren't um, the award-winning songs. Um, 
but they were important for me to release in terms of people understanding me as a whole person and not just a caricature of a person, you know, like for example, I mean, still to this day, one of my favorite songs I've ever put out was the bad guy. And that was a very vulnerable song for me. It was a very, even the production was, was different from what I'd done previously. Um, but that song was, was so real to me. And it's actually, it's, I think to this day is still my highest streamed song of all time. It was one of my poorest performing songs at radio. Um, but I still get messages about that song. And it's one of those, songs. I mean, it's a, it's a ballad. And when I play it live and you've got everyone from, you know, the group of five girls singing at the top of their lungs to the, the dude in the cutoff shirt and the muscles and the tattoos singing every word, you know, it was such a, it was such a relatable song to so many people. And again, it wasn't commercially my most successful song, but it was important. It was an important part of my story and my development as an artist and, and for people and for my fans to see that change and that shift from, you know, Grace and Grit or Bow Chicka Wow Wow, you know. And, and again, it's like it was it was one of the first it was a bit of a risk, I guess, for me to take. But I needed to take it because when I first got started, you know, and I'll say I'll say this, like I'm, I'm not not proud of anything I've ever put out but I've grown and evolved a lot since I signed my record deal. And when I did first sign my record deal, I was really green and I was just so excited to finally have an opportunity that I, I think it's fair to say that I probably was a little bit more amenable to doing things that I wasn't a hundred percent sure of, but I wanted the opportunity, you know, and I, I wanted the support of my label and I wanted the support of radio. And I just wanted to get to that place where I could break through enough to where I could, maybe pull back a little bit more of that control and have a little bit more say in what I was releasing. So to me, it was always sort of strategic. And again, it was never like not authentic. It was just different shades of me and different evolutions of me and everything. So, you know, well, I you're think taking a risk because you are deviating from what made you famous. Now I've often said you can be unidimensionally famous, but you can't have unidimensional legacy. Right. If you're going to go down as one of the greats, people need to see all sides. And this is true no matter what. If you're talking artists, uh, you know, movie stars, um, uh, literature, you know, people need to see different dynamics of yeah. what's at play. And, and a lot of the times you're right. The stuff you take a risk on isn't going to be your most commercially successful yeah, um, music. But it was right. But it but it has to come out there because people have to understand that there's more to you than just you know, hunting, fishing and kicking ass, yeah. you know, which, which are important things too, but, but yeah, it's important sure. to give people that, that perspective. So I want to bounce back to a point you just made, mm -hmm. which is sometimes there's this deviation in our industry between songs that translate really well with fans. Um, I think you cited a great example of uh, the bad guy, which streamed really well. It's one of your mm -hmm. highest streaming songs to date, but yeah. it didn't chart that high on radio. Most of the time, those things are aligned. Usually a high streaming song does well on radio, but we do have these anomalies in our business where there's a big disconnect between what radio thinks is good for their audience and what yep. the audience believes is good for them. Why do you think that is? <laughs> Jim, if I knew the answer to that, <laughs> we, I'd probably be more successful. Um, you, you know, the radio the radio game is is always a little bit of a mystery. And I mean, you know, I try not to get too hung up on it. And I, and I have to say, like, I'm, I'm trying, I don't want to get too off topic here, but like just with the pandemic and everything, 
I, I obsess way more over radio in the last year than I, I normally would because it was all I had. You know, you, you know me. I mean, the way I met you was you put me on some shows. That was how we got to know each other was the live um, aspect of things. And you know how much I love that and, and how much of a big, like that's the biggest part of my career. It's my biggest focus is to be a great performer above everything else. And, um, you know, when that got taken away from me, it was so much, it was a lot harder to not really fixate on chart position and radio. And, you know, the last two singles that I put out to radio, like during the pandemic are my poorest performing singles ever at radio. And it was really tough because I felt really stuck. Like, I mean, I'm here in the US, so it's like, I can't go out and visit these people, which I couldn't really anyway, even if I was in Canada, you know, and it was like, I felt like I was doing everything I could to promote these songs. I was doing live streams. I was doing, you know, phone interviews, Zooms, like everything under the sun. And it just, it just wasn't happening. And, you know, the, the first of those two that, that went out that didn't perform was Things I Shouldn't Say. Now, speaking of songs that were a risk, but I wanted to put out anyway, that was one of those songs because it was a song where a woman was talking about and embracing her sexuality. And there, if you listen to the lyrics, there is not one thing in that song that is any more racy, you know, than Luke Bryan's Strip It Down or Eric Church, Love You Like a Wrecking Ball or, or any, of, any of these songs or Jason Aldean, like it's, all of these men had put these songs out to radio that are charting and doing well. And then a woman does it and no dice. And, and I think it really bothered me. And I, and I don't know if that. Maybe Do you think that's, that's proprietary to the country format? Like, again, we'll, we'll back up a little bit on this, but women put out very uh, sexually independent and expressive songs in pop music all the yep. time and in rock music mm-hmm. doesn't seem to affect them. And in, in fact, Yep. <laughs> WAP was a massive hit, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, do you well, think it's proprietary somewhat to the country format that they expect a certain type of behavior from female artists? I I mean, I, I don't see how that could not be a reality. I mean, there it doesn't, there, there's nothing else that, that makes sense to me. I mean, you know, I was, I was already a fairly established artist who's had a number one at radio and a handful of top tens, top five award-winning, you know, it's not like I was a new artist. I had a fan base. I was established. I've, I've historically done pretty well at radio for the most part. And it really bothered me because I felt like some of the stations that wouldn't play it wouldn't say why, you know, it was, oh, it's tempo or that, or this or that, you know, and I, I felt like it was because of the content. And it, and it bothered me that, you know, while in so many other realms of the industry, people are, are talking about, you know, women hashtag women. girl power. Yeah. And I was like, but I'm not allowed to do this. Like, put your put your money where your mouth is, you know, and that's and, and I didn't. And again, there's no way of me ever really knowing what you know, why it didn't work. I, I also understand it was in a pandemic and which was a tough time in general for everybody. But I have to believe that, like part of it was because of the content and it bothered me, but I also knew it was a risk when I did it. And I'm proud of myself for doing it because I know it resonated with fans and I know that they needed for me to put out that song and to say something about it and address it, whether, whether it, you know, worked out for me professionally in terms of the chart position, which it didn't, I made a point and I I stood up for women and I said, 
I don't care if you don't like this because I'm going to, if the guys can do it, why, why can't I do it? I mean, that's the story of my life. If guys can do it, why can't I do it? You know? And uh, so it's interesting that you brought up, you know, women in pop or rock music or whatever. And that was because, I mean, this conversation about women in country music has been at the forefront of things for years now. Like this is, this is not a, a topic that requires awareness anymore. We're all aware of the discrepancy with women at radio, on lineups at festivals, touring, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why that is. And I don't believe that it's just because the industry is full of misogynists who don't like women, you know, and, and one of the things that, that I always felt was maybe part of it was that I, so I have this whole theory and I don't know if there's any merit to it, but you know, I have this theory. I think, you know, when you look back in like the 90s, women like owned country music. You had Shania and Reba and Trisha and all these like absolute powerhouse artists. And I feel like what happened was as some of those women, whether it was they kind of aged out of it or they had families or they kind of pulled back on, on touring and releases for whatever reason, as they kind of like pulled back from, from this stardom, what came forward to me next, the next big thing was like bro country. It was like Florida Georgia line and, and, and that whole like movement. And on, and, and on the one hand, I think it was positive for country music because I, I think that it brought in a younger audience that wasn't there and it kind of like revived country. And I know there was a lot of people that hated it because they're like, well, this isn't real country. And I mean, to be honest, I was one of those people at first. I loved my traditional country, but in the end, like you, you couldn't deny that it was that it was bringing in a whole new audience and that people were liking it. And it was it was well, it wasn't my style of country music, but it was well done for the most part. It was well produced, well written songs, you know, and and it was it was a vibe. It was a thing. And everybody, everybody jumped on it. The, the fans, radio, like it just became the new big thing. And, and I just feel like by nature of what bro country is, it it just didn't leave. There wasn't really a space for most women to fit into that genre. There are a couple women that did it. I mean, the most prominent one would be Kelsey Ballerini. You know, she she came out and I would say she was the closest thing to like a female version of bro country. She was really young. The style of her her production and her music and it worked for her. And she crushed it. I mean, she came out of the gate with like three number ones in a row as like a new young female artist, which whether or not her music is my cup of tea. That's badass. Like I, I love that for her, you know? And I think what happened a little bit is that, you know, the bro country thing was everything. And I think a lot of women tried to find their place in it and it didn't work because it wasn't authentic to them. You know, they were chasing something that wasn't them. And then when that didn't work, I think a lot of female artists, I think the artistry suffered a little bit because they were trying to find a way into this new thing and there wasn't a thing for them. And so they started getting safe and started chasing things that weren't who they were. And the authenticity went out the window. And this is not a dig on any like sp specific woman or anything. It's just like my view from the outside. And when, when you get safe and you chase things that aren't authentic to you, the audience is going to see through it, especially country fans. I, th I think they're smart fans. I think they see through things that aren't real. And so I think just the quality of music women were putting out suffered a little bit and, and I don't blame them. There just wasn't, everybody wanted bro country and it just didn't lend itself to female artists for the most part. So it was just a tough spot for, for females. And it, it's not that women, it's not that people don't want to hear female artists. It's not that women aren't as good. It was just, that was the big thing. And it was bro country, you know?
It's that bro is literally in the name of it. So I think that, you know, the best thing that we can do as, as women is just work hard and write great songs that are undeniable and, and chase only what is authentic to us, not what is working and what's trending for the guy artists and try and figure out how to fit into their world, make your own world and make it undeniable and, and make your fan base. Cause it's not like, I mean, like you said, like I said earlier, historically, female artists have run country music before and they can and will again when the music is there and when it's authentic and when it's great and undeniable. I think. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more in, in the premise that you got to chase what's undeniable. How have you resisted the temptation to to chase trends, um, to chase radio safe songs as opposed to material that really resonates with you. I mean, one of the things I've always admired about you is you know who you are and you stayed true to that. Yeah. But it's got to be difficult to stay on that path. I mean, you just talked about it a few minutes ago. You're putting out music now that you feel is more who you are than ever before. It's mm -hmm. not translating at radio. There's got to be the temptation sometimes to go, all right, fuck it. Let's chase something that's safe. Nah. <laughs> I mean, I think... I mean, honestly, part of it, it is a little bit just my age. I mean, when I first signed my record deal, I was, I think I was 27, almost 28. Um, so I was, I was a good few years older than most of the other women that were prominent in country music at the time, at least in Canada. And, you know, I used to always think like, oh my gosh, I'm so behind, like I'm so much older than everybody. And I wish I signed my deal so much earlier. And, and especially, you know, in, in a genre where you have like, you know, Taylor Swift who, got famous so young and a lot of other women were that way but I realized that I'm, I'm glad I didn't sign a record deal when I was 22 because I didn't know who I was and a lot of 22 year olds don't and by the time I signed my deal you know I I did know who I was and more importantly who I wasn't and you know I I just of course I want success at radio but most importantly I want to be remembered as like iconic as legendary i want my music to have longevity i want people to care about my songs beyond six months to a year at radio i want to create lasting fans and the, and the thing about lasting fans is that you have to create your own thing and build it with them when you chase something that's working for someone else you might get a few fairweather fans you might get a few people for that one song but they're not buying you they're just buying the song I want fans that buy me and my whole brand, my personality, everything I do, and that are going to buy all my records till the day I die or they die, you know, and, and I feel like that is more important and is going to be, is going to garner more success in the long run. And I'm always looking at the bigger picture, you know, quick, nobody wants a bandaid on a bullet hole. Nobody wants a quick fix. I, I don't, because I want to be doing this until I'm literally too old to stand and can't do it anymore. And so bigger picture means staying the course, staying true to myself and continuing to spend all of my energy figuring out who I am and how to best, you know, channel that into my music. Because again, people, I mean, you look at Luke Combs, the reason why Luke Combs is so massive is because that's exact, that's who he is. I mean, it, people don't just buy his songs, they buy his brand, his personality, his lifestyle, and, you know, he, st he stayed the course. Every major in town said no to him until Lynn said, I see something here. And 
he stayed exactly who he was. He didn't, you know, go and get jacked and tanned and wear skinny jeans like every other, you know, country artist. He stayed himself and wore his Crocs and his Columbia shirts. And he's a bigger dude and he's got a beard and he just gets up there and sings his ass off. And he's, he's a genuine person. So that's why he is as big as he is because people bought the whole brand and he stayed the course and knew that what he had was authentic and real. And he had to just keep chasing that until people caught on. I think the industry has a nasty habit of underestimating the intelligence of the consumer or thinking that they're more superficial than they are. Yep. And where that has spoken to me outside of music is, uh, podcasts you know people people will tune in and listen to a podcast for two or three hours they don't necessarily want to be subjected to the 15 second soundbite they're getting from mainstream media people yeah. will uh watch a a series with nine seasons like um the sopranos or you know breaking bad or you know people will tune in for these essentially what become 50 hour movies mm -hmm. right with all of these different plot lines and characters that come and go, people are more complex and, and have a desire to connect with something that's complex Absolutely. and weave it into their own lives in, in a manner that they see fit. Mm -hmm. Right. And yep. I think the industry does have a bad habit sometimes of going, well, this is what's hot right now. And you got to put on these jeans and you got to look this way. And, and that's how it's got to be. And again, kind of back to this idea of when you got signed early in your in your career to Warner, you were very honest with them about the type of package you wanted to put forward. I remember you and I had a uh, drink in Toronto and you talked about how like, listen, I just don't want to be another good looking blonde 20 something girl who wears a dress and puts mm -hmm. out a record that's mm -hmm. radio friendly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what, you know, and I've been, I've been really, really lucky and blessed with, with the team that I've, I've been able to work with and my, my team at Warner. Um, you know, I remember my first meeting with, with Steve Kane and, and Ron, and I went in and I played a couple songs for them and, and we hung out. I mean, I, I loved Steve immediately because Steve is a, a music lover, you know, and also a, a, clearly a great businessman, you know, he runs a, a massive major label, but I always felt that he really does put the music and the artistry first and he really cares about his artists. And, you know, I, I think I maybe even took him and Ron a little off guard when I, I, cause they said, you know, what, what are your goals? What do you see for yourself? And I, I basically said, I'm like, look, I am in this for the long haul. I'm, I'm, I want to create a, a career that has longevity. And I know that right now, a lot of what's working at country radio is very pop, especially, you know, on the female side of things. And I said, you know, if you're seeing me and saying, well, she's a, you know, good looking blonde girl and she can sing and we can get her to cut these songs and wear this and that'll work. Cause that's, what's working right now. You know, I said, as much as I want a record deal, thank you, but no, thank you. You know, I just, that's not, that's not me. That's not who I am. This is what I want to do. This is the music I envision. These are my influences. This is what I hear and what I see for myself. Um, and if you guys are on board to, you know, do something different and, and really do this right and, and trust me and I trust you and we work as a team to do something cool and, and unique, then let's do it. And, and they did. And they, they stood by that this for my whole career. I've never 
you know, you hear horror stories and they're real, you know, about major labels and stuff. And I've never been forced or pushed to to make music I didn't want to make or wear things I didn't want to wear or be someone I didn't want to be, you know, and I've, and I've gotten a lot of backlash over the years for different things. And my labels always stood by me, you know, for the, the hunting, I've gotten a lot of hate and a lot of backlash for, for hunting. And I've refused to back down on, on my love for the outdoors and conservation and hunting. And I think it's an important thing that I'm always going to advocate for. And you know, and, and my label. So for people who don't get it, for people who don't get the affinity for hunting, mm-hmm. what's your message to those folks? Well, the first thing I ask them is, do you eat meat? Because if you do, you don't get to judge me. Not one bit. Not at all. It's totally hypocritical for you to walk into a grocery store and think that you're somehow better than me because you pick up your meat in a shiny little package where you're conveniently removed from what that animal went through to get into the grocery store and onto your plate. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, hunting is not for everybody and that's okay. I'm not judging people who don't wanna do it. I mean, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of money and the actual act of, of taking a life is, is heavy. You know, it's not, it, the, the, the idea of what hunters are, it's like, you know, a bunch of like bloodthirsty rednecks who just like killing stuff. It's, it, it couldn't be further from the truth, you know, for a real hunter. And, you know, this is the other thing too. It's, it's not just about my own personal fulfillment. It's about conservation and the health of our, our wildlife, you know, hunters and, and fishermen pay more money into the conservation of our wildlife than, than anybody. I mean, we pay for it in our, our licenses, our tags, you know, all of these things go into the science and research of our wildlife and how to best serve them, how to maintain population, be careful, you know, be mindful of diseases and issues within, within the wildlife. And it, and it has to be, it does have to be maintained. People, people think that we've like evolved into this place where hunters and aren't needed anymore. And it's just not true. We are a part of the ecosystem and maintaining population and, and all the wildlife. And, and the, the reality is that what I've found is that anybody who has hated me for hunting, if they've ever been even willing to even just hear me out, and let me give them some information. 99.9% of the time, they go, wow, I just didn't know all that. They, they just didn't have the information. And once they did, they were like, okay, you know, that kind of changes my view on things. And so that's why I do, that's why I never back down. And I'm always trying to put that information out. And even when I do post things about my hunts, I always try and give information. I like to show people that I eat everything I hunt you know, and what that whole process is. I just did a hunt in Florida and I showed, you know, I showed pictures and and the whole process of the hunt to being in the trailer that night and cooking up the turkey. I give people recipes, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's really, really important um, for people to understand that. And in the realm of, of how it ties into country music, you know, I got a lot of hate some years back because I, I did a black bear hunt in Manitoba with uh, Canada and the rough guys who are hands down some of the, the, the kindest, sweetest people, the Beasley brothers, they are conservationists. They're, they're great hunters. They're good people. Um, you know, black bears are, are actually quite overpopulated in Manitoba. And I shot it with a bow, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a very legitimate, it's very a ballsy grueling, move. It was a very grueling bow hunting bear. long hunt all day, every yeah. day I hunted. And, you know, when all was said and done, you know, we cleaned the bear. I took some of the meat home. I donated the bulk of the meat to some families on the nearby reserve that were 
kind of falling on hard times. And I paid a lot of money to tan that hide and honor that animal. You know, it was everything about it was was ethical and respectful. And and yet I just got crucified for this. And what bothered me going back to radio, there were some radio stations that, you know, reached out to the label and said, well, we're getting complaints from listeners and blah, blah, blah. And I had just put a new single out. And my response was, I was like, okay, well, what are they going to pull my single? Because if they're going to pull mine, they better pull Blake Shelton's, Jason Aldean's, Luke Bryan's, Tyler Farr's. I mean, the list goes on. All of these guys, not only do they hunt, they have entire businesses and companies built around hunting where they're, they're, they're making money off of it. And it felt like this, again, this double standard. I'm like, all of these male, I mean, you probably are spit, are, we're spinning, hunting, fishing, and loving every day when Luke Bryan put it out. I mean, it was a number one song. So if you're going to play that song and the music from all these men who, who hunt and make a, like make money off of it, but I'm somehow the bad guy, you know, because, because I did this, like, it was just very frustrating to me, but like I said, my, my label had my back. They, they stood by me and um, I had some good friends in, in the industry, other artists and, and writers and stuff that, that stood by me and I appreciated it, but you know, and it's, I've, I have suffered for it over the years, but I refuse to back down on what I stand for. Cause I'm, there's, I'm not wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm not a bad person. I'm not evil. I'm not like some bloodthirsty murderer. You know, it's, it's more than that. And it's, it's a personal choice and it's a lifestyle. And it, you know, I don't, I don't judge other people for their lifestyles. You know, if it's, it's not affecting, they're not hurting me. So yeah, it's this weird social media peer pressure culture that we're all part of now. And um, I worry about the long-term implications of it on art because yeah. as much as Warner Canada and Steve Kane has had your back, he may not be there forever. And yep. at some point there might be an executive there who might be more willing to bend and bow to public pressure. And we've yep. seen this with artists who, yep. you know, have had heterodox opinions on or, or haven't conformed with the uh, church of woke orthodoxy on some things and uh and next thing you know they're getting dropped or they're getting yep. um it's scary uh, you know they're getting deprioritized at the very least yeah oh, it yeah. is very scary because because i think art requires a, a and listen i'm not saying you got to be irresponsible with your platform or with what you're saying but yeah. art requires a certain degree of creative latitude you know you have to be you reserve the right to make some mistakes say some things that may not be necessarily right or true, but, you know, find your way through that process publicly. And for artists, that's an ongoing dynamic that I, I certainly don't covet. I mean, it's like no. you are, you are sorting through highly incendiary issues many times in, in the public eye. And mm -hmm. if you say or do something wrong, you are attacked for it. It's, it's truly terrifying. I mean, it, it's, the last year, especially, you know, politically, things have been very heated, very divided. We've been dealing with this pandemic where there are a lot of differing opinions and, and you know, compile that with the fact that many people have been out of work and spending a lot of time just in their homes, probably on their phone, on social media, you know, really obsessing over these things. And nobody's been able, you know, nobody's had the opportunity to just kind of go out and live you know, and so people have become very obsessed about these things. And there, there is very much this morally superior attitude with a lot of people on social media. It's like, 
you know, they, they've made it their, their God-given right or duty to go out and seek out anybody who disagrees with them or the popular narrative and like ruin their lives and take their job away from them and ruin their careers. And it's very scary as a, as like a public figure to feel like you could lose your job just by having a, a unpopular opinion, you know, or having a, a different political belief. And I've, I've always kind of, you know, I, I've never been very vocal about my political beliefs or anything like that because, you know, and this is just my personal opinion and this is nothing against any artist that does choose to use their platform, you know, in tandem with political activism. But I feel, you know, I've cre I created my platform and my following based off of my art and my music. Nobody followed me to hear about my political opinions or thoughts. And so to me, I think it's a little bit irresponsible for me to create that platform based on one thing and then use it to push my my other opinions on my fans because it's a little bit bait and switch. Yes. And and I think especially because of the nature of my relationship with with my fans, I mean, this isn't so much for me, but like especially some really big artists, their fans are so hardcore. I mean, so in love with these artists based on one thing that it's like they will listen to and take as gospel anything and everything they say. And I want my fans to be free thinkers, critical thinkers. I want them to think for themselves because everybody should think for themselves. And I think it's irresponsible if you are in a position as an artist where you have these really obsessive fans. And I don't think I have obsessive fans. I'm talking of, you know, on a grander scale, bigger artists than me. I think it can be a little bit dangerous and irresponsible to put that out there knowing that they are just going like that. They're just going to grab on to that, you know? And, and I just, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think it depends a lot on the person. I think it depends a lot on, on whether or not that artist has, has like to use your words, built that following in tandem with activism from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of my issue with it more so than anything else and I often counsel my clients on this. I say, listen, look at, you know, your platform is your platform. You're an adult. If I'm managing you, I will just say this. If you're going to step out on a limb and comment on something that's incendiary, mm -hmm. just know you're probably going to piss off 50% of your audience. Right. Yep. So just understand there's going to be consequences to this. Yep. And the other side of the other side of it is you are showing your hand, but I'm not sure to what end I'm not positive that there are people out there who go, you know, Megan Patrick, uh, Dean Brody, Dallas, they think this way on this issue. And now suddenly I'm going to think this way on this issue. Like, I'm not sure people fall in line to that degree. I yeah. think they do more with political figures. You know, you yeah. see like, it's almost like a team mentality with Democrats and Republicans in the U S you must see that. Oh, but, yeah. um, but I don't know. I mean, I, to me, I just think it's really ineffective most of the time. And mm -hmm. here's the other thing. If you are, let's assume for a second, you're an anti-Trump, uh, anti-Republican artist, which there are plenty of. Yes. Uh, if all you do all day is point out everything the Republicans and Trump has done wrong, but you never own the mistakes on your side, mm -hmm. to me, I just now think you're a shill. Right. Yep. To me, it's like, well, there's nothing courageous, brave or interesting about this person now. Yeah. Um, and I see it on the other side, too. Like when yeah. I see an, an artist who's hardcore right wing and it's, yep. 
you know, second amendment and, and free speech. And, mm -hmm. and yet they never take the time to be self-aware enough to go, you know, I, yeah. I listened to this press conference and I heard what Trump said and I thought he was, I thought he was really irresponsible or he was a real asshole. Like they, yeah. they don't, to me, then it's like, okay, well then fuck, I can't trust you. You're a shill. Yes. And I see it with industry people all the time. It's like, of course, of course like I don't even need to talk to you to know what your perspective is going to be right. on this issue. Right. So to me, if I am going to glean uh, some semblance of knowledge from a base, I want a bit of an indication that that, that individual has some level of impartiality. Yes. Myself. I, I don't no, know how I, everyone else well, feels. And, and I think, and I think just to kind of round off that, that point, you know, I'll say two things. One, you know, I've, I've already sort of taken on this sort of responsibility, you know, like I was talking about with hunting and talking about conservation. And the reason why I feel comfortable stepping out on that issue and, and not backing down from it and making it a part of my my brand so to speak is because i have done the research extensively i know a lot about it and i still have so much more to know but i i know enough about it that i feel comfortable that i'm able to give you know impartial true factual information about what i do as a hunter and conservationist now when it comes to politics and things like that I mean, I, of course, educate myself the best I can when it comes time to vote and, and deal with certain issues, but I don't know everything about it. I don't watch the news all day, every day and follow every single thing that's said and done. And so I don't feel comfortable, you know, putting my thoughts out on something without knowing that I probably haven't done the full scope of research. And that's to how me responsible where, of you. Well, that's that's that was to me more what I was trying to get at with the irresponsibility factor is that I see artists sometimes making statements like very bold statements about certain things. And I'm like, well, that's not all the facts. You know, there are other there are, and some of them are opinions and not facts, but their opinions stated as facts, you know, things like that. And I just think it gets really murky. And, and also to be perfectly honest, I can only take so much hate in my day <laughs> and I already take it a lot for, for hunting and, and things like that. And so I'm, I'm not really in a position where I think I want to take on any other possible hate, you know, and again, the most important thing for me with my platform is keeping it so that I can continue to make music. Cause at the end of the day, I don't need or want my fans to think like me. I just want them to like my music. I want everybody to come to my shows. I want everybody to buy my records and I want them to buy it simply on the merit of the music and not based on political or social or what, whatever beliefs. And again, that's not a dig on the artists that choose to do that. But if that's what you do, good for you. It's, you know, just be responsible about it. Be, make yeah. sure you have your facts, you know? Well, and that, that's why it's so important to research the counter argument to the thing that you believe in the most, right? right. Like, um, we just spent time here talking about how the social justice movement is dangerous. But, you know, honestly, I think the net effect of social justice has actually been a positive for society in that it's moved ahead and evolved our way of thinking and understanding and empathizing with yeah. um, uh people who are, you know, minorities in society or people yes. who have been um, ostracized due to their sexuality. Like, I think, I think mm -hmm. the net effect of political correctness has been really positive, but yeah. when it becomes 
weaponized yes. to acquire uh, social justice currency, it it then becomes a search to trick people or shame people and creating villains where there aren't any. Yes. And I that's where I think it becomes dangerous. And we're all turning on each other when that happens. And that's the heartbreaking aspect of it. Because I go, listen, if we're talking about hunting down white nationalists and we're talking about, you know, Edward Norton's character in American History X before he finally redeems himself, yeah. I'm with you, man. You yeah. know, the guy with the swastika yeah. tattoo on his chest, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. But if we're talking about, you know, um, uh, somebody who wants to use the hashtag all lives matter because to them uh, they do. And that's their mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah. Uh, that is not the same thing as a Nazi to me. So no. we got to be really careful with these definitions and mm -hmm. not just search people out for the sake of attacking them. Yes. But, um, I, and, and that's the thing is like, there, there's a lot of that, that language being thrown around very casually. And I think it's pretty offensive to use the word Nazi casually. <laughs> because it, it it really uh downplays the effect of what an actual nazi is and, and what that that meant to jewish people and and what's happened in right. history you know and, and people people I, i've noticed that a lot with social media and stuff people that are that are angry and they really want to make a point and so they grab these these very very impactful words and use them as a part of their narrative and it's not the correct use of that word and it's you know it's um it's what's the word um you know it's it's just it doesn't it doesn't help the cause because it also it inflames the people that you're maybe trying to get their attention the people you're trying to have a conversation with or the people that you're trying to change their mind you know it's uh it's not helpful to the conversation it, no you're not going to persuade anyone by calling them a nazi to no, see your side of the the argument right? right and and it's quixotic too i mean if you're you know you're familiar with the old tale of of Don Quixote, who mm -hmm. uh, ends up, you know, fighting with his with his sword and his armor. He's fighting windmills because he believes them to be dragons. And like, that's what we've done with this movement at times. It's like we are fighting people who are already on our side. We just yeah. disagree on a few of the no yeah. nuances, right? Yeah. So that I'm never going to be down with. I I'm a big yeah. believer in unity build as big a tent as possible mm -hmm. challenge people on corrupted belief structures but do yeah. it from a place of love yeah. where you want them to exemplify yeah. the best traits of who they could be potentially in society if they abandon some bad ideas you yeah. want to help them yeah. you don't want to just beat them up for right. the sake of showing everybody else that you're a good person and they're not because that's a that the end that's goal a zero-sum game yeah the end goal is is to educate the people that are ignorant. Not not everybody that has said or done racist things is a bad person. Some of them were raised differently. They just, they're not aware. So the best way to make them aware, that's not an excuse, but I'm saying the best may the best way to make them aware is to approach with with love and try and find an understanding and have that conversation so that they can do better instead of, like you said, just just beating them into the ground to to show everybody, hey, look what I did. You know, I got this person and they said something they shouldn't have said, and so now we're gonna we're gonna destroy them. And that doesn't that doesn't help bring them into the fold of learning love and unity and and trying to move forward together to be better as people. And in the end, that's that's what we all want. It's what we all should want, you know. I couldn't agree more. Now you had a a viral incident with a fan at a festival. <laughs> um, 
Ashley, why don't you just describe it a little bit? Because I think I think what happens with these things is you get games of broken telephone where mm-hmm. somebody describes the incident and then um, everybody sort of builds their own narrative off of that rather than understanding exactly what happened from your perspective. So mm-hmm. go ahead and give us a synopsis on that. Um, well, I guess first I'll ask, how can I say the F word? <laughs> of course, of, of course. Yes. Well, um, so yeah, so we were playing a show um, in Hagersville and it was actually one of, it's one of the first headlining slots I've had at a, at a festival. So I was really excited about the show. And um, unfortunately things, things were kind of running behind with, with the festival and there are a few things that happened. So I was a little bit frustrated, you know, even before we went on stage because um, we were playing much later than we were supposed to. And you know, at a festival where people show up and start drinking at one or two in the hot sun all day, when it's like 11 o'clock by the time, you know, you're, you're, you're losing some of your audience that you rightfully should have had as a headliner. And so I think I was already a little bit on edge because of that. And, you know, we're, we get out there though, we start playing, everything's great. The crowd is great. And I was starting to introduce a song and I thought I heard a guy say, show me your tits. And so I, I kind of just ignored it you know, kept talking and, and then he yelled it again, even louder. And I was like, okay, you want attention? <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> and so, you know, I think I, I just said, I, I just said, I'm like, who said that? I said, turn the lights on. I want to know who said that, you know? And uh, it was like crickets at first. And then they kind of flipped the lights out, out on the audience and a bunch of people were pointing at this guy. <laughs> Like they just totally threw him under the bus, and uh, yeah, and I well, said, fair enough. Yeah, and I and I looked at him. I said, "You?" And he, I don't even know what he said. I said, "Get the fuck out!" <laughs> and he starts yelling back at me, and I just said, "I said no, get the fuck out," you know. And I and I honestly, Jim, you know, I was I was so angry because, you know, one, I like I said, I was a little on edge about the way things had gone earlier in the day, and on top of that. It's not the first, it's not even the fifth or 10th time some guy has said something like that to me while I've been on stage. And many, many times before I've ignored it. Many times before I've made a lighthearted joke and just moved on, you know? And I don't know, for some reason, I think it was the fact that he didn't just say it once. He wanted me to hear him say it. And he was obnoxiously trying to interrupt my show to make a scene and, and say it. And I, you know, I just went off. I can't remember exactly what I said. It was something, I said something about, you know, I didn't spend my whole life, you know, working and being broke. And it's sad, you know, to have, to get up here and have some drunk dipshit, you know, degrade what I do to show me your tits, you know? And I think I said, I work too hard, motherfucker, fuck you. (laughs) And so he was, he was escorted out. And I mean, the audience, the audience was great. I mean, they, they were cheering for me. They, they seemed supportive of it, you know, because not only was it offensive to me, it was offensive to the people that were tr- there to enjoy the show. And I had to stop the show mm-hmm. to address this guy because he wouldn't stop screaming, show me your tits. <laughs> and, it's, you know, I always wonder when you encounter guys like that, what kind of a relationship they have with their mom or their sisters. Right. Because most yeah. of those guys, if you pulled them aside and said, hey, motherfucker, what if I was saying that to your sister? What would you do? What if, what if I scream that at your mom? 
Yeah. Like you would punch me in the fucking face. So like, think about that next time yeah. when you go to a show like this and understand that that individual out there, up there who's on stage in, in this case, you is not just someone who's worked her ass off to get right. where she is, mm-hmm. but she's also somebody's sister and she's somebody's daughter right. and, and Jesus well, Christ, like have a little respect. And, and even, even beyond that, you know, the, the, the fallout, so to speak of that, that whole scenario, I mean, First of all, I will say within the industry, the support was overwhelmingly positive, like really, really wonderful from fellow artists, just other people in the industry um, across the board. I got messages from a lot of women. I remember like Jess Moskaluk sent me a message, you know, and, and she's so sweet. And she was like, honestly, she's like, I've had it happen to me before, too. And I never said anything. And, you know, it always kind of bugged me that I didn't say anything, but I kind of felt like I, I shouldn't, or I couldn't. And now you kind of inspired me to say something the next time. And that's what I love to hear, you know, and I had, I had men reach out that said, I have daughters and I showed them the video. And I said, look, this isn't language you should use, but the, the, the premise behind what she said is, is real. And and you should never feel like you have to accept that kind of behavior from men. And here's, this was the, this is the thing that bothered me the most from the people that weren't supportive was all of the people saying, um, this is part of your job. Get over it. Get over yourself. This is, you signed up for this. And I said, no, the fuck I didn't. I'm not a stripper. I said that in my rant. I said, this isn't a strip club. I'm not a stripper. Like I did not sign up for this. This is my job we'll call this stage my office. If I were in a boardroom making a presentation at a, at a business, a place of business, and some guy yelled, show me your tits from the down the table, would that be acceptable? No. So why is it acceptable here for me? It, it's like, and like, yeah, granted, it's it's not like the end of the world or anything. The guy probably was just drunk and thought it would be funny, but it's not funny. It's just, it's just not it's objectification. Yeah. It's, it's objectifying and, and it's, and it's, you know, it, it's frustrating to me as someone who has literally dedicated their entire life to writing songs and being a great performer and, and putting on a good show to have what I do and all of the, the blood, sweat and tears to be degraded and downplayed to show me your tits, you know? And if that had been a one-on-one exchange and you hadn't been on stage and there hadn't been an audience, how do you think that conversation would have went? The exact same. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I suppose if it had happened in a one-on-one situation, I probably would have just looked at him and said, are you fucking serious? Like, why would you say that? You know? And, and maybe it would have been a, a bit more of a, a calmer, like interactive um, situation. I mean, maybe I could have had a conversation with him, but. Well, your adrenaline's jacked. He's being an asshole. I mean, you're on stage. He's interrupting your show. Like you're human, by the way, I, I get it. I totally understand where you were coming from. And I don't think you should have faced any fire for that because we, we would have all done the same thing. Had that been, you know, a female that we're, that we care about. Right. If you saw some of the comments I got, it would make your stomach turn. I mean, it was the, 
like I said, within the industry and any, and in, even in the media, you know, I did a couple of interviews about it with some radio stations and, and some media outlets and they were all very supportive and, you know, and, and I've made, and I commented on the language too, you know, I mean, first of all, there were some people saying like, there could have been children there. I was like, it was almost midnight. <laughs> so, you know, if you have small children out at a show at midnight, they're going to see and hear some adult things. That's, that's just comes. I mean, you know, my, my, my mom took me to concerts when I was young and it was understood, you know, if I saw or heard something that was inappropriate, then that was, it was my mother's responsibility to have that conversation with me, you know, and, and talk it out with me. I, it's not my responsibility, like to, you know, raise your, your children or whatever. I mean, this is not, I'm not a, I'm not a children's act. I'm a, I'm a grown adult who mostly plays in, in bars and clubs to 21 plus crowds. And I'm aware that I have young. Well, and let's not pretend kids don't hear swear words. Right. In other capacities. Right. You know, if, let me tell you this, the way the internet and, and everything is now, you know, let's say you've got a 13 year old daughter who goes on Instagram. If, if me saying that, if that's the most offensive thing your daughter saw today, then congratulations, because you know, yes. it's a lot more damaging and offensive than a girl standing up for herself, herself, but using some colorful language is going on Instagram and, and seeing photoshopped, you know, women in bikinis and, and selling tea to make you shit yourself so you can be skinny and, and makeup and all these products that, you know, and, and pictures that are not attainable, that are not what women really look like and little girls thinking that that's how they're supposed to look. That is a lot more offensive and damaging than me saying, no, I'm not going to stand for this man uh, verbally abusing me while I'm on stage. And, and I told them, I said, look, I, I'm sorry for the language. You know, had I been given the opportunity to sit down and create a, a more eloquent speech, I would have, but I wasn't afforded that opportunity. I reacted in the moment and I said what I was thinking the way I was thinking it to a mostly adult crowd. And, and well, again, and, and you know what? It was an injunction that will make him fucking think twice about doing it again. And that's what some, yeah. that sometimes that's what people need. Like I often say, when I encounter people who have bad manners, let's just put it under that blanket category. You know, I, I will often say to people, especially if I'm in a position where I have to reprimand them, I wish your parents would have taught you this. Right. But yeah. because they didn't, yeah. Here we are adults now and I have to say something to you, mm -hmm. you know, and I have to back that with the, the potential that there might be a physical altercation here, which I'd rather not do. But like that is the problem. People need to be, you know, again, like if, if we're all on our journey to being our best selves, some of that means some of that corrective action is not going to come in a form that's easily palpable, right? Some of yep. it's going to be a bit of a punch in the face, even if it's yep. metaphorical, right? Well, or, and, um, and this is also my thought too. I'm like, we're not, so, so you're offended by what I said, but not what he said. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. You think the problem is that I said fuck a few times, not that a man like verbally harassed a woman on stage. I mean, when in the past, when men have done similar things and gone on similar rants, Tim McGraw, other, other male artists, when somebody has done something inappropriate to a woman in the audience and a man has stood up for her and said something, you applaud him and what a great guy, what a gentleman. But when a woman does it for herself, that's that's not acceptable to you because you don't like that I said fuck. 
get over but yourself. But to be fair to yourself, Megan, <laughs> to be fair to yourself, and you should be fair to yourself. Do you think you put too much weight on the negative comments versus all the positivity you got on, out of this? Um, I, 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 for the most part, I didn't. But the, the problem was that, um, so some one because there's always going to be idiots. You know, like right. that, that th th um, when people say this is what you do, I think that's what they mean is when you become a public public figure, there's a, a small percentage of the population that are, you know, maybe not irredeemable in the long term, but they're fucking morons. And those people are going to write shit on your Instagram page or post a comment that is going to be so far out in left field. But because of the way we're wired, especially because of the way artists are wired, we wait those negative comments so much heavier than all the love we get. Right. And, and, you know, to, to me, it wasn't it, as a whole, I, I don't think that I did what, what happened for me with, with a lot of those negative comments was it wasn't actually on my own um, page. It was somebody that had been at the festival um, had posted the video, like in support of me, this was a fan. And it was the comments that, that came from that because it got shared and kind of blew up on, on Facebook. And, you know, it was like, I don't, I don't even know if you want me to say some of the things that people said, but it was very disturbing. Um, like just people saying like, you should be glad that that's all he said to you, you know, and you're, you look and sound like a dumb whore and you got what you deserved. You can't sing. You're ugly. You're fat you need to get over yourself. He only asked to see your tits because he couldn't stand to listen to your shitty music. Like it was, it was really, really, really mean. And I'm telling you like the, the, the tame stuff, if I sent you, and it was like, this got sent to me because it was sent to someone on my management team. And they said, should we try and have this taken down? And I had, I mean, it, in that moment, it, it was a lot it made me feel sick to my stomach. It made me really upset and really anxious. And, and I think a big part of it was just, it was mostly just a, a, a rude awakening of like, wow, there's this many people in the world that think this is acceptable. There's this many people in the world that think this it's okay to talk to women like that and think that their point of view is actually valid. And, and to say all those things to me was, it was a valid reaction to what I, to what I did. And that was the most upsetting part of it. And, you know, again, it part of my job is that it's dealing with that. And some days I'm better at it than others. Some days I let it roll off my shoulders. I delete the comment. And I don't give it another thought. And some days it really bugs me because I'm a human being and yeah. you know, they, they catch me in a place where I'm just a little extra sensitive or something, <laughs> you know, but it is it's more than understandable. I mean, I, I think how you handled it was commendable. I mean, it's it's tough in those situations to, especially looking back in hindsight being 2020, uh, it's like, what would I have done differently? Well, probably nothing. And you know what? To be fair, that guy probably needed, like I say, some sort of harsh injunction so that he understands that that behavior isn't um, acceptable well, and he's not going to do that next time he's at a show. I, I actually received a message from somebody that used to date him actually after that happened. And the, the message was more or less, thank you. He needed to hear that. Like he's Good. an asshole, you know, and, and there were, there were a few 
guys that were at that show too, that were in the audience that also sent me messages and in support of me and said, you know, he's just, he's just an asshole and, and good for you. We support you. We love you. And, and so, you know, in the, in the end, as much as some of those comments, it was just mostly shocking. Like I couldn't, the language and it was just like, what? Like, this is very disturbing. And it kind of caught me off guard. But, you know, I, I remember talking to my dad about it. And he said, Well, look, you got to look at the <laughs> essentially the caliber of people that are supporting you and the caliber of people that are saying these things. Yes. Who's, Good advice, who's, Dad. Whose opinion matters more to you? Who are the people that, that you, want to impress and that you want to be on your side it's not these people it's these people the people that reached out and supported you that you know that had your back and that was that was some of the best advice I could have ever gotten so thanks dad (laughs) that is good advice and it doesn't surprise me that your dad said that because I can tell you were raised well so um we've been at this for over an hour but what's next for you um well new music um you know i'll say one of one of the silver linings of of the pandemic for me was um you know i've never had this much time to focus on the creative songwriting side of things and you know when the when the pandemic hit that was sort of it was immediate for me i was like okay i'm going to use this time to write the best songs i've ever written and really really dig in on that side of things and i think it was also the fact that it coincided with a lot of self reflection and thinking, you know, it's, it had been so long. I'd been on the go and touring and on the road so steady for the last like seven years. You know, this is the first time I had all this time sitting at home to myself to just think about things, um, you know, in my relationships and who I am as a person. And do I love who I am as a person? Can I be better? How can I be better? You know, so that coinciding with me writing a lot, I think, resulted in in the most authentic music I've ever written. And I'm really, really proud um, of this, this record. I, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to say anything about when it's coming out, but um, it's coming. You know, we did just put the new single out a couple weeks ago. and Never uh, giving up on you? Yes, yeah. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm really excited. I was, I was a lot more hands-on. I, I worked with a new producer on some of the music as well. And I was way, way more hands-on on the production side of things, which, um, you know, I think as a result, again, is, is more true to me and, and more authentic in terms of just the sound and the production and just digging deeper into, you know, more layers of who I am as, as a person. And I mean, you're going to get the fun, rowdy party songs that everybody loves for me, um, <clears throat> but you're going to get a, a whole lot more, too. And so it's I, I've been saying, you know, to a lot of people asking about the new music in the past, whenever I've been ready to put out a new project, it's always been this mixture of excitement and like crippling self-doubt and anxiety of like, I like this, but is everybody else going to like it? You know, and and worrying about it and then like second guessing myself and second guessing the songs and all this stuff. This is the first record I've ever made where I'm not, I don't have any doubts. I don't have any second guessing. I look at it like, this is the best record I could have made. This is this is who I am. And if somebody doesn't like this record, then I'm just not for them. So it doesn't matter, you know, and that's okay. Cause I'm not going to be for everybody, you know, but I do feel confident in a way I never have before that this is the most me thing I've ever made. And this is, this is a, this is my best offering, you know? And so 
I'm just excited to get the new music out. We're, we're starting to get some shows a little bit here and there in, in the U.S. So, you know, while I kind of bide my time waiting to be able to get back at it in Canada, I'm going to keep building my fan base and do what I can here. You know, our whole plans for our U.S. release really kind of we had a wrench thrown in those plans with with the pandemic. You know, we we were supposed to do radio tour and um, I had a lot of big U.S. festivals and everything booked last year. And then all of a sudden everything was gone. So, you know, it's tough to break as a new artist at any time, <laughs> let alone during a pandemic when you can't physically tour and, and go out and make these relationships. So, you know, we're just kind of regrouping and trying to figure out how how to operate in this this new normal and how best to keep the ball rolling, you know, work, work hard, but work smart, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. Just getting ready to put this new music out, and I'm trying to play as much as I can while I'm here. Well, lovely catching up with you. Best of luck yeah. with the new project. I'm excited to hear it, and uh, congratulations on all your success so far. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.